It's time for a Big Blue Kickoff Live. Nobody can ever tell you that you couldn't do it because you're dead. On Giants.com. You know what I saw? New York Giant Prime. And the Giants mobile app. We'll punch you in the nose for 60 minutes with a relentless competitive attitude. Part of the Giants Podcast Network. Let's go out there like a bunch of crazy dogs. Have some fun. Welcome to the newest edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live on Giants.com and the Giants mobile app. John Schmelk. Lance Meadow with you on this happy Friday leading up to championship weekend. The phone number is 973-667-1960. We'll remind everybody that Big Blue Kickoff 5 is on the Giants Podcast Network, which is presented by Investors Bank. Make sure you find the archive of all of our podcasts at Giants.com slash podcast on the Giants mobile app and all of our favorite podcast platforms. And Big Blue Kickoff 5 is presented by the New York Lottery, the new X-Series of Scratch-Offs in the New York Lottery. Multiply your winnings up to 100 times. Please play responsibly. Lance, Paul, I think last weekend is the best NFL playoff weekend because you have the best games and you have four games over two days. But I cannot be more excited for this weekend's games, guys. I really couldn't. I think both games could go either way. I think both games should be close. You have four of the best quarterbacks in the league going in these games. And, Paul, I think this is a great finale weekend here until we get a week off before, obviously, Super Bowl Sunday. Well, you know, every year I look forward to the Pro Bowl a little more than these games, but maybe I'm a little different. A, a little different? <laughs> Never heard anybody say that before. Yeah, I'd say you're on your own island. No, no, nah, nah, you just set me up for that, John. You just set me up for that one. I, I'm with you, though. I mean, come on now. Let's face it. We know that Kansas City and Buffalo are one and two in the AFC. And whether or not you believe the Buccaneers are really the fifth best team in the NFC, certainly the way they're playing now and with the matchup and the fairy tale story of Tom Brady, how could you not say the Packers at one and the Buccaneers kind of being a pseudo number two team becoming the perfect matchup on the other side of the slate? I mean, seriously, could it be any better? No, I don't think it could be, Lance. And then the AFC matchup, you have two of the youngest, most dynamic quarterbacks in the league. Yeah, Josh Allen has had a spectacular season. I think the Bills overall really have done a great job, specifically in the second half, once they've returned to full form, show how balanced they could be. And then, of course, you got the defending champs. And it's hard to bet against Kansas City, no matter what's going on, because I think as they showed against Cleveland, between Andy Reid's aggressive play calling, Spags, I think, has an underrated defense and doesn't get enough credit. And then, of course, the Patrick Mahomes factor, whether he's fully healthy or not, you know you can't look past his ability. So I'm looking forward to both of these games. I think based on what Paul alluded to, remember, we just have one wild card team out of these four. And normally, you know, sometimes you may see two wild card teams get this far. This year, for the most part, it really played to chalk. And I think that's going to make for two very enticing games. All right, let's start with the early game first. How much stock do you guys put into the fact that when Tampa and Green Bay played uh, way earlier this year, that Tampa had their way with the Packers, blew them out 38-10. to 10. The defense really shut down the Packers' offense and Aaron Rodgers. That was back on October 18th. Do you guys put a lot of credence into that, or is that so long ago that it really doesn't matter? I personally don't put any credence in it because, first of all, Aaron Rodgers threw two interceptions in that game, John, and he wound up finishing with five picks. So if that doesn't put things in perspective, then I don't know what does. Do you really think – now, granted, Tampa Bay was extremely opportunistic against Drew Brees, but what's the chances you go up against Aaron Rodgers twice in the same season, because it is still the same season, and you pick him off at least twice? I would say that is an extremely rare occurrence, plus – 
I think the Bucks are a very different team, and I know they were the team that won, but I think their offense has changed dramatically. I think they're much more on the same page with Brady and company. And then when it comes to Green Bay, I also think the Packers defensively have come a long way, as well as their offensive line. Remember, they lost David Bakhtiari, their left tackle. They've done a pretty good job filling in for him. So I don't really think either of those teams are what they look like back in week six. That's why I don't put much of anything in that context. Yeah, yeah I agree with I agree with Lance on this one. I, I just don't see it having a ton of relevance. There may be certain individual matchups where certain players remember some things that happened in that game that may be of some frame of reference to them. But to say that it will have a large impact on Sunday, I don't believe so at all. Uh, I quite frankly believe the Packers will win the game. Yeah, so do I, Paul, and I'm with you. And this is why I, I asked that first question the way I did because I think it's counterintuitive a little bit because that was Aaron Rodgers' worst game of the year by far. It wasn't close. But I really like this matchup for the Packers' passing offense. You know, the Bucks are very aggressive defensively. They blitz a ton. Uh, they are going to play a lot of man-to-man out there. They're going to try to confuse the opposing quarterback. One, the Packers' offensive line, even with David Bakhtiari out, was tremendous last week against L.A. They were fantastic. They, were fantastic. Yeah. they did a great job. You're not fooling Aaron Rodgers. I don't care how many creative blitzes Todd Bowles figures out. They don't have someone, in my opinion, that can cover Devontae Adams one-on-one. So despite the fact that that first game was Aaron Rodgers' worst game of the year, I think this has the potential to be a big-time Aaron Rodgers passing game. The Bucks are the best run defense in football. I could see Rodgers having a big bounce-back game in this game, and bounce back not from last week, but from that first game he had against the Bucks earlier in the year, and just have a really monster game and make some really big plays in an outdoor cold-weather environment. Well, it's hard to doubt the Packers considering they just went up against the number one scoring defense in the NFL. That was the Rams, and they put up 32 points on the Rams, and they handled them like the Rams were the 32nd-ranked defense. Between the way the offensive line played and protected Aaron Rodgers, he wasn't sacked, he took one quarterback hit, and they also were able to run the ball very effectively and barely had any negative plays. I can't remember one play that went backwards for the Packers against the Rams last weekend. So if you apply that performance, and they're more than capable of duplicating that, against a Bucks defense that I don't think is as nearly consistent and efficient as the Rams have been this season, on top of that, here's my biggest concern for Tampa Bay. While I love their offense, and I think their offense is more than capable of scoring continuously on Green Bay. Yeah, I agree. I think if there's one weakness, it's the Packers' defense, specifically in the secondary. But getting back to my point, if you've noticed what Tampa Bay has done in the postseason, it's been short fields set up by takeaways, and Tom Brady and company have capitalized. Well, what does Green Bay do better than any other team in the NFL? protects the football. They had a season-low 11 giveaways. Are you banking on, if you're Tampa Bay, that you're going to get two to three takeaways? That, to me, is not a philosophy to win this game. So the question is, if both teams play clean football, which is very possible, is Tampa Bay capable of beating Green Bay and having to go 75 to 80 yards continuously, drive after drive? I think they have the offensive weaponry to do it, but I think it's going to be a tall order for them to accomplish. I'm on board with you, Lance. I I really, uh, not only that, I I will say this. Don't be surprised if Rodgers winds up throwing the ball in the high 30s. Oh, I agree. I'm with you, Paul. I I don't think that they're going to try to run and pound it out. I think there's going to be a lot of screens, a lot of little check downs and dump offs. I think Rodgers is going to throw the ball a lot in this game. And I do think the weather conditions will have something of an impact on it. 
Okay, I I I don't want to make a big deal about it. Now I'm not Brady, buying it affecting Brady though, are no, you? No, because Brady's right. played in Massachusetts, so I so get is Gronk that. too. Yeah, yeah. So so I don't think it's going to be a big deal necessarily to some guys, but I do think to some others it will be. And uh, you know, hey, and I'll, I'll tell you something else too. And maybe I'm I'm overlooking at this. Uh, I'm kind of overstating it just a bit, but I trust Crosby more than I do suck up in this situation. And if the game does come down to a kicking game, I'm going to give the advantage to the Packers. No, I agree. I, I think Keep that's in mind, fair. Crosby was shaken up against the Rams. I wonder whether or not that will have an effect this week. It was a shoulder, right? I think that he kind of banged up on that. On Was it a botched? It was a botched extra point, it right? It was a and botched extra point. Yeah. yeah, and then he went down awkwardly as they went after him. Yeah. Yeah, to me, I, I think this has the chance to be a shootout. Like, to Paul's point... I could see both these teams throwing it 35, 40 times in this game, and that would not surprise me. Uh, I think it could be a great quarterback battle, and I think this could be, and look, this isn't for your hardcore NFL fans. They know how great Devontae Adams is, but if you ask like a more casual fan that maybe doesn't follow the game as tightly, and he's not doesn't have that big name like you know Trell Owens or Randy Moss back in the day. This could be like the Devontae Adams. Oh wow, the rest of America that doesn't really pay attention. <laughs> this no seriously, like Paul, he might be the best wide receiver in football. I mean, he's this, really yeah, good. He's really good. So I could see this being his big coming out party game. And I think the other question I have, Lance, I think is interesting for the Bucks. You know, you mentioned the Packers' weakness being in their secondary. I think Jair Alexander is a really good cornerback, but I think once you get past him. You ask some questions. So are they going to line up Alexander on one of those Bucks wide receivers, try to take him away? Are they going to keep him to one side? Who's going to be that Bucks receiver that Brady goes to in this game? You know, who's going to be the guy that he likes the matchup and he's going to attack? Is it going to be Gronk? Is it going to be Godwin? Will Antonio Brown come out and, and have a really big game? I think that'll be interesting to see how the Bucks utilize all those weapons and find the right matchups against the Packers defense. John, the other day, I think it might have been on NFL Network, they were talking about who is Tom Brady's favorite go-to target in a situation like this. It's probably Gronk, right? And, and, well, not necessarily this year. Over his career, it has been. But the answer was the guy who's open. <laughs> <laughs> well, because right. he spreads the wealth. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. He doesn't necessarily play favorites. However, with that being said, I also think he did a nice job turning to the Scotty Millers of the world and the Tyler Johnsons against the Saints. Those two guys actually made one or two big catches that yeah. ultimately helped them get into scoring position That's or result in a touchdown. So, you know, Brady's going to take essentially what Green Bay gives him. He's not going to force it to one guy, and he doesn't need to because I think Tampa Bay has a tremendous amount of depth, but I actually think this may be more of a game between Ronald Jones slash Leonard Fournette and Aaron Jones slash A.J. Dillon if he's able to play because he's been on the injury report. The reason I bring that up is you look at Fournette. Fournette was actually a very effective receiver in the game against the Saints. And we always have debates about, well, you know, you want to see teams get balanced on the ground versus through the air. Well, if you throw to your running back four or five times and he gets 40 to 50 yards— who cares whether he got five yards on the ground or he got five yards through the air? To me, it's irrelevant. The bottom line is you're moving the chains. I think they showed that, hey, if Fournette's open in the flat, Brady's going to dump it off to him. And same thing with Ronald Jones. So what the running backs can do, I'm not going to categorize it on the ground. I'm going to say productivity. 
for that position, I think that's going to go a long way in actually determining where both of these teams go because as we just talked about, they both can throw the ball down the field. They both have the weaponry to do that. I actually think, you know, some of the Packers' other weapons are overlooked a little. Alan Lazar made that big touchdown. Robert Tanyan has also been a moving-the-chains type of guy throughout the season. So to me, I'm actually looking more at the running backs, what they could do between the ground and the air as being a big difference maker in this game. All right, guys, give me your picks. I think think this game is extremely close. I'm going to stick with the Packers. I think... Overall, the Packers are probably just a slightly better team. It would not be surpri- would not surprise me if Tampa won this game, but in the end, I'm going to go with Rodgers and Adams. I think they have a monster game, and I think the Packers walk away with the victory. Yeah, Packers in a close one for me. I'm going to go Green Bay, too. I just think Tampa Bay needs a turnover or two to win this game, and to bank on that coming from a team that's so good at protecting the football. Granted, listen, guys, it came when the Giants played the Packers. Remember that year in 2011? Green Bay protected the ball like crazy, and then they coughed it up. So weird things happen in NFL history, but I'm just not going in thinking that that's how it's going to play out. I'm with the Packers. Limited Giant season tickets are on sale for the 2021 season. In addition to ticket savings, membership benefits include access to exclusive events, experiences, pre-sales, and more. You can lock in your seat. Starting at just $100, call 888-NYG-1925 or visit Giants.com slash tickets for more information. All right, let's jump to the AFC, guys. And again, I really want to pick the Bills in this game. I'm not going to give my pick now. But I think one interesting stat I found that I think speaks to the lack of dominance from the Chiefs this year. Because I think people think, oh, Mahomes, the Chiefs, they're dominant, they're great. And yes, they are. The Chiefs have not won a game by more than six points since November 1st. They have played a ton of close games this year, even against teams that you think they maybe should have blown out. Mm -hmm. So to me, this is going to be a really tight game. I do wonder about how the Bills consistently move the ball here. You know, I know how Steve Spagnuolo operates. I think he's going to do his best to, to try to take Stephon Diggs out of this game as the biggest weapon that they have. So where do the Bills go after that? Can John Brown do enough? Can Cole Beasley do enough? Can they actually run the football enough to to maybe do something in this game? That, to me, is interesting. I want to see how the Bills can consistently move the ball if the Chiefs do, in fact, do a lot, Paul, to take out Stephon Diggs. Because, you know, Spags, he likes to try to focus on the other team's strength and take that away. Yeah, well, I'll be honest with you. Uh, Look at when they played earlier this year, and and Diggs had one of his more quiet games of the season. But but the guy who has actually had a very productive year in the passing game for them is Davis. Yeah, Gabriel Davis, you're right. And that day he had one sticking catch for seven yards, as I'm looking at the box score right now. And this guy, he's he's a tall, he's one of those skyscraper-type receivers that I love to have on a roster. And I just wonder... You know, if you do what you do against Diggs and then you say, okay, well, we have enough resources left over to maybe contain Beasley, you're not going to contain Davis. I I would think that, that he may be the X factor in this game. You were looking for a Bucks receiver to be an X factor for Tampa. I think Davis could be an X factor for the Bills. I'm just not sure Davis is going to play because he's nursing an ankle injury. He was shaken up in the last game, and he hasn't practiced from what I've seen on the reports. The game of his life, he's not going to play? Seriously? Well, if he can't move, he can't move. I'm not a doctor. You're right. If if, if he's bedridden, he can't play. But short of that, he'll play. Well, they'll certainly need him. I'm not going to disagree with you because I think also what's missing from the conversation as far as the Bills' offense hasn't necessarily lit it up. 
okay? They scored 10 points against the Ravens. They got a pick six against Lamar Jackson. That's it. That offense scored 10 points. 10 points is not going to beat the Chiefs, regardless of whether or not Kansas City has played a lot of close games. And they have because they've blown, actually, a lot of leads. They jump on teams early, then they take their foot off the pedal, and it's almost as if they let teams back in. That, to me, has been Kansas City's biggest issue. And then you look at the Indianapolis Colts game. They put up 27, but I also didn't think that was a dominant Bills performance. Maybe that's a good thing. Maybe Buffalo's do for that offensive clinic. I'm not so sure. The other thing that concerns me about the Bills is, and John, you brought up, are they going to run the ball? Let's face it, Brian Dable doesn't care about balance. (laughs) All he wants to do is just allow Josh Allen to run the show and throw, 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 and then Allen run, run, run. They basically ran the ball three times in the first half against Baltimore. That was it. And they finished, I think, with 15 or 16 runs last week. The Bills, they're just going to do whatever they think is effective, and what they think is effective is the passing game. However, if Davis doesn't play, and now you have less weapons on the field, does that have them start singing a different tune? I don't know. I'll look at it this way. I'd like to see Devin Singletary get some touches, which is what I was referring to with the Packers-Bucks game. Even if you get him four or five catches as opposed to runs, I do think keeping Kansas City's defense honest with some semblance of that facet, I think is important. Now, the big thing to me, guys, on the other side of the ball, let's flip it to the other side of this matchup. The Bills' defense, after playing very poorly for the first couple months of the year, has played much better football over the past couple of months. Yeah. They have good players in the secondary, Tredavious White, Micah Hyde. They have some good players back there. And I wonder if they can do enough to just, look, you aren't stopping Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs, right? But you can contain them. You can force them to kick field goals, which is kind of what happened in that first matchup, right? The the Chiefs moved the ball up and down the field, but they had to kick field goals. They didn't yep. get into the end zone. Are those the type of things that this Bills defense can do to maybe just prevent those chunk plays, make the Chiefs be a, a think and dunk's the wrong word, but a more, um, you know, less explosive offense? And can they do that to keep them out of the end zone at least? And not make Josh Allen put up a 38 spot. You know, can the offense score 27 and win instead of having to score 38 to win? I think that's a fair question. Well, I think that's exactly how it's got to be. If you're the Bills, you need to win this game like 28 to 24. You know, you can't allow Kansas City to score 30 points because I don't think that that they're going to be able to do enough to win the game. They've got to keep it down into the mid-20s. Do I think they can? Absolutely, I think they can. You look at that first matchup, Matt Milano didn't play in that game, and he actually has been a huge difference maker for why the Bills' defense has played better there. Interior linebacker. I would equate Matt Milano, the numbers are ridiculous when he's on the field versus when he's not. It reminds me of the Cowboys when you had Sean Lee on the field versus when Sean Lee wasn't on the field. It was about maybe two or three years ago. That's how good the numbers have been when Milano plays. And in that matchup back in week six, it seemed as if the Bills' philosophy was we're going to prevent all the explosive plays from down the field and we're going to see if Kansas City can run the ball. Well, Kansas City said, thank you very much. We're going to run the ball. They ran for 245 yards. And that was how they really controlled the pacing of the game. But they didn't score touchdowns, which worked. They didn't didn't always finish, but they did enough to control the clock, wear down the Bills' defense, and really dictate it from start to finish. And also, the Bills weren't fully healthy. So, you know, there was a lot of things like the Packers-Bucks game that we talked about in Week 6. I'm not taking that much away from that first meeting because I think Buffalo's different. However, Clyde Edwards-Elair now is in line to play. This weekend, when remember, he's been out since the latter stages of the regular season. And the reason I say that is, you know, Kansas City hasn't really had that much balance in his absence. You know, Darrell Williams has shown some flashes here or there, and Le'Veon Bell's been banged up. If he's back this weekend, 
that's going to be a tall order for the Bills to prove that they can now stop the run effectively. They did a great job against Baltimore, so I got to give them credit. But once again, Kansas City's a little bit different than Baltimore because of how they orchestrate and run their offense. It'll be interesting to see. All right, guys, give me your picks for that game. I, I'm again. Well, John, I, I, I was going to ask you about the other variable. Yeah, though, please go ahead. That is, we believe that Mahomes is going to play. Okay, even though the concussion protocol has yet to totally clear him. All indications are he's in line to play. Yeah, but right. but Paul, as you know, you could wake up on Saturday with a headache, and then it's all over. Yes, right. Yes, mm-hmm. and I think that's the other asterisk that we have to put on this game because, a, you know, what if. He does wake up on Saturday or Sunday morning and isn't feeling quite right. Well, they gave the bills. <laughs> okay, well that's one, right? And and let me give you another scenario. What if what if he gets rocked in the first quarter? Mm. And and he gets up a little slow. The NFL is going to pull him out of that game faster than you can say bubblegum. And you know, <laughs> that suddenly changes things a whole lot. Well, you could say that about any game, though, if a quarterback. Yeah, except that this quarterback is coming off of concussion protocol. You know, not every quarterback goes into every game coming right off the protocol. He is. Very true, but the debate also remains about whether or not he actually suffered a concussion. And we don't know that. Just because he's in protocol doesn't mean he actually suffered a concussion. Did you watch the game last week? Yeah. I watched that game, and if and you watch that how, play, how he had to get helped off the field. Yeah, and the reason why is people are arguing that he had a neck injury that forced him to get wobbly as opposed to a concussion. Yeah, because his head was not, he did not really hit. Yeah. get hit that hard. But remember, you can get into a car accident, get whiplash That's so correct. bad that you get a oh, concussion sure. from the whiplash, and you don't knock it. your head. So yeah. no doubt, right? No doubt. I, so. I actually see. I think your argument, Paul. The, the, it's not the an argument. Concern. I'm simply raising an issue. It's not no, an well, argument. Well, I mean, you're, you're arguing that it's possible that he gets hit and that maybe all of a sudden he gets out of the game and Chad Henney plays, which is very possible. But well, I'm especially more if concerned. it's a neck. Think about that. If it's a neck, it'll take less to knock him out of a game than even the head. See, I'm more concerned about the toe. That's the other thing okay. that's on the injury. Throw that court. onto the board. Well, the toe issue is more of a concern because what happens if he's not as mobile as he normally is? Or, to your point, he gets hit on the foot early and he can't run. That, I would argue, is more likely to happen than him having a setback with respect to what I don't think was truly a concussion in that game. Now, see, and that's fine. I think it could be his shoulders or his knees. Maybe we should just sing the head, shoulders, knees, and toe song. Here, here's that? the thing, John. Song, yeah. I, just, I just think it's prudent to to respect the possibility that Mahomes may not be able to play four quarters on Sunday. If Mahomes plays four quarters on Sunday, I'm picking the Chiefs. <laughs> I think they're just too good. I would love I've I have lifelong friends that I grew up with and they're all Bills fans. I'd love to see them get back to the Super Bowl and give it a run. Uh, I just don't see it. I think the Chiefs probably win this game like 31-27. Paul? Yeah. And I think if Mahomes does play the whole game, that's what will happen. I think if he does get knocked out, I'm going to go with the Bills. The Bills are going to have to put on an offensive clinic. They have yet to do that in the playoffs. So if that continues, which is what we saw against Indianapolis and Baltimore, where we've seen some highs and lows, I just don't think the Bills are going to have enough firepower to get past the Chiefs. I also think the Chiefs' defense hasn't received enough credit during this run, and I'm not betting against Andy Reid, Patrick Mahomes, and a team that is the defending Super Bowl champs. I think they deserve to have the edge, and I think they will win. Don't miss out on your chance to experience a premier hospitality experience watching Giant Games and world-class concerts in 2021 as a Giant Suite partner. Limited full-season locations are available or place a deposit for individual games. Call 888-NYG-1925.
or visit Giants.com slash suites for more information. All right, guys, let's go to the calls, 973-667-1960. Marco in Connecticut, our good buddy, he's been waiting patiently to come on the show. Marco, what's going on, bud? Hey, guys, great to talk to you. It's been so long. Yeah, what's up? Um, Well, I've had this this, um, defensive tackle uh, thought and then question that I've had teed up for a while, so I'm happy to get you guys on about this. um, Let me preface this by saying that I – want to bring back Leonard and Dalvin. I want them both to get re-signed in some capacity. Uh, but th- the way I'm thinking about this is teams that have been responsible and have tried to build through the draft and have tried to do things the right way, which, which is what the Giants have really done in the last two, three years. They've really tried to get back to doing that. Is they try to stockpile at positions in the event something like this happens, where you get guys that are up for free agency and knowing that you can't re-sign everybody. Again, I want them both back. But when I look at the defensive tackle position, I know we drafted Dexter Lawrence last year, and we drafted B.J. Hill a few years ago. I don't know what, it, what uh, you know where he's at with his uh, what in years and stuff. But I think he Dexter, has one. We, I, I think as of Paul, he has one year left. B.J. Hill after this. Yes. That's correct. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, he was a third-round so pick in 18, right. so he's mm-hmm. on a four-year deal. Yeah, that's, that's right, Lance. Okay, so – and Dexter, you'll get the, the fifth-round option on him because he was a first-round pick. Uh, and, and then don't forget, R.J. McIntosh was on the team this year. I don't know if he played in every game, but for him to be around tells me that they liked him enough to keep him around. And by the way, well, not for nothing, Marco, Austin Johnson, I know it was just a one-year Austin deal. Johnson. He actually yeah. played pretty well this year, too. He was fine as a run-stopper. Played well. So And, and John – all of the guys that we're talking about do something a little bit different. So it's not just like Dexter is the next man up that can take over and do exactly what, especially Leonard, because he's so versatile from the group. But one question I have, I, I, I have not heard it brought up anywhere. When was the last time an NFL team during free agency had two, let's just say defensive tackles, at the, at the same position, be up at the same time, oh, and the team and the team brought them both back. I don't know. Well, I don't I, remember having know. just two available, to be honest with you, at the same time. So I'm not sure if, if, if the question even has a, a scenario where that's happened before, unless you have one for me. Well, something. No, I don't. I don't. But I think I remember Jacksonville, like when they had like John Henderson, when Marcus Stroud, you know, those guys. Yeah, may, maybe. But I don't know if they were. Again, different situation, but we would literally be re-upping two guys, same position, which is great. It gives us a strength, but that's my one question. Has it happened? Because if it hasn't, then, okay, we'd be doing something very, very different. And then my other question is, I know we have the franchise tag as an option. I'm wondering, and I, this is a, I think it's a better question for, for Jeff. No offense, guys. What would it mean in the locker room for guys at the same position where, where, the, where the franchise is telling one guy, hey, we're going to commit long-term to you, but then to someone else, a man-of-the-year candidate, a captain, we're, we're going we're gonna to put the franchise tag on you, and we, we likely can't get to a long-term contract. I, I think players at that point would understand that, that there's only so much money to go around. I think players would get that, and I think it does matter too. 
if the player then goes out there, let's say they let one of them go, Marco, and they decide to just, you know, whatever, and they get paid somewhere else, I think players are kind of okay with that. As long as a guy gets what get you know gets what he earned from somewhere, I think they're okay with that. The way I kind of look at this, guys, and I'd love to get your take on it, obviously, while they're both technically defensive tackles, they don't play the same position. They play different roles. And I just have a hard time seeing how the Giants allow Leonard Williams to walk away this year. He was so far and wide their best pass rusher. To me, they don't have anyone else that's ideally suited. I think Dexter Lawrence could do it, but I don't think it's his ideal position to play that three-technique defensive tackle spot. They don't have a two-way player that can both stop the run and rush the passer the way Leonard Williams can. You can't replace him. If you lose Leonard Williams in free agency, there's no one you can plug in, no one you can sign in free agency, no one you can draft that can give you a reasonable facsimile of what Leonard Williams does. I do think there's a way to find somebody that can give you a reasonable facsimile of what Dalvin Tomlinson does. It might not be at the same level, but someone that can at least play that role. So to me, that way, Paul, while they both play technically interior defensive line, their roles are so different, I almost want to keep them in separate buckets. I totally understand, and I totally agree. Now let me ask you this, okay? What if I said to you, and I'm just going to throw this out there as a hypothetical, I do not know anything. I want to make this very clear. This is not a hint for anybody. But what if Jonathan Hankins came back to the Giants? Because, quite frankly, he is a Tomlinson type of player who gives you much more against the run than he does in the pass rush. And Hankins is a free agent. Uh, The Raiders are not going to re-sign him. I don't know how much money he would be looking for, but at this stage of his career, and certainly that he's capped out, I mean, in terms of his talent, he's not on the up. I think Tomlinson is still on the up. But if I said to you that the Giants could get Hankins back at a much cheaper rate than Tomlinson, would you feel okay with the position if that meant re-signing Williams and then bringing Hankins in? Well, I don't think it has to necessarily be Hankins. I mean, if you were to say they brought in a veteran, a proven veteran, to assume that Dalvin Tomlinson position, I think that them taking a flyer on a guy for a year is not necessarily going to be detrimental. Okay, how about this? I'll put it this way, guys. What if, what if they are able to bring in a player that would make half the amount of money Tomlinson would make? Okay, well, that's what I'm talking about. Right, I know, that's what I'm saying. Let's say he, without putting numbers on it, let's just say half. Whatever Tom, you would have to give Tomlinson, you can get this other guy for half, but he's only going to be 70% of the player Tomlinson is. Is that a trade-off you're willing to make if it means that you can bring back Leonard Williams and still have money left over to bring in a playmaker on offense? And that's what you have to decide, and I think yeah. the answer to that, unfortunately, is yes. I, and I hate to break up those two defensive linemen in the worst way. I do not want to do it. But if that's the only way to do it, then I think you have to swallow it. And I've only mentioned Hankins because that's the type of player that I'm thinking would fit that spot. Right. What can do you I, got, can I say one thing? Sure, I'll, go ahead. I'll, I'll jump off. That's a great discussion. My only thought there, Leonard, I agree, like we have to bring him back uh, for the like ability. He's just he, – what he does, we can't replicate. Well, Marco, by the way, and Marco, just by the way, it has nothing to do with what they gave up for him too. That is a sunk exactly. cost. I don't care about that. It's just about what he does on the field for me. Same, same, same. No, 100%. I agree. But the thing with Dalvin, when I look at Dalvin, I think of almost like how I think of 
Logan Ryan. What Dalvin does, he's, I didn't know this until this year. He literally hasn't missed, what is it, a defensive, you guys right. know it. Has he, he's not, he hasn't missed a snap, is that true? Right. No, no he again, hasn't he hasn't missed a game, game either. He hasn't missed right. every single game. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He hasn't missed a game. He's a captain. And now, and now people, a lot of people like around the team are starting to throw around the name Linval Joseph, and there's a reason for that. I mean, I think I, that would be a really, like not just a tough pill to swallow, but we'll move on. I don't know, guys. I, like I think they got to get this figured out and get and get you got to get both back. I really feel like he's a captain and he's a man of the year and he's going to move on. I don't know. Well, and here's the thing, Marco. Thanks, thanks for the call, man. I appreciate him, Paul. I think there's a chance you can bring both back because this is the point I tried to make the other day when I think it was me, you, and Fiegel's on, right? Yep. That there might not be a person with a big bag of cash waiting for him at the end of the line. You know, he might be like, all right, well, you know what? I'm Dalvin Tomlinson. I've had a really nice start to my career. To your point, Paul, you're on the up. Why wouldn't he want to wait until the salary cap bumps up significantly? And I imagine in who knows how much, but it will bump up significantly in the offseason of 2022, whatever that number ends up being. Why not do a one-year deal for reasonable money? He'll still get a raise off his rookie deal, right? but maybe not where he wants to be, and then try to cash in next offseason. So maybe they can get the best of both worlds there, depending on what the market is for them. Well, let me put it to you this way, John. As I also responded then, it only takes one team. So true. And I'll pick one out for you right now. Uh, I honestly believe that Tomlinson would fit in very well with the Patriots, and they have a slew of bucks to throw around in free agency. Another team, Paul, by the way? I think the Jacksonville Jaguars are a team you have to be careful of there, too. Well, because of the amount of money they have. Yeah, they now, they're so far space. away, yeah. though, from being a winner. I think, I think you know, Tomlinson would probably rather go to the Patriots than the Jaguars, thinking that the Patriots are closer to winning again, right, but especially my, with Belichick. My thought, though, I bet you Urban Meyer recruited him, right? I bet, you, I bet you he did. Could and have. I bet you he's familiar with him. And Urban Meyer is very much a win-in-the-trenches type of coach. And it yeah. just seems like that's the type of – and you want to build a culture, build a program, what better guy to bring in than a class guy, oh, yeah. a smart guy, man of the year nominee mm-hmm. like Dalvin Thomason to help build your program? Well, and remember, I, Hankins you, was an Ohio sure. State guy. So, that's true, You know, too. in, in yeah. terms of the line of defensive tackles that we're talking about, yeah, Urban tends to be attracted to those type of players. So, I look, uh, the question I asked you the other day, and Lance, you were not on that program. It was John, Jeff, and myself, and I'll throw it to you, Lance, and maybe we, we'll get a different take uh, from your perspective, and that is, what if it comes down to you have to cut or trade Evan Ingram to get those $6 million back to fit both of your defensive linemen under the cap? Would you be willing to do that knowing you have then created a hole at tight end one? Well, see, that's what it does. We could sit here and take away player A, player B. You're creating a void to address one area of your team. And to say that the Giants don't have multiple areas that they want to continue to strengthen would be naive. So no matter who you're taking it from, you're going to then lessen another area of your team. I would say of Fackrell, Tomlinson, and Leonard Williams, ideally I think it would be great to see the Giants keep two of the three. In a perfect world, you'd want to see all three return. If they could retain two of the three, I think that would be important because as strong as the secondary is in terms of the nucleus returning, I think you want to see some continuity on the front. So I think two of the three guys, if they could return, that would be putting the Giants in a very strong position coming back next season 
with the group of defenders that they worked with last season. As now, now Fakir will be on a different financial level than his other guys. He will, guys. but I still consider him a free agent. I mean, he could very well, well leave. He is. Right. I don't think he's a guarantee. Yeah, but, but he, 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 he's like a second or third tier guy, not one of those first guys that are off the board. You know right. what I mean? Right. Well, no, I don't think he's going to have that big of a payday as the other guys. But I'm also not sold that Tomlinson is necessarily looking at a huge payday either. Here's I think what I would the market say, Lance, could very well fall into the hands of the Giants. I would not even consider making an economic cut along the lines of an Evan Ingram to fit Fackrell onto my roster. I would consider it if it meant Tomlinson coming back. Good point. You follow? Well, I wasn't, I wasn't equating both of those. I was just saying, I wasn't using Evan Ingram in this conversation. I was just saying, in general, it'd be good to see them retain two of those three guys, period. I'm not equating it to having to cut Evan Ingram to get the two of the three. And I, I believe I, it. I, I, and, and I don't want to throw Ingram's name out there on a careless whim. I'm simply saying that that's a $6 million nut that you could get back. And quite frankly, the, the position that the Giants are in, they can make a lot of other smaller moves that could potentially add up to that amount of money too. So I'm not saying that Ingram has to go to create that space, but it would be – it would be an option, and it would probably require the least amount of sweat. And again, just to be clear, folks, this is just a hypothetical conversation yes. we're having. Yes. This is not reporting or anything like that. Just exactly. FYI, I don't want people running around saying things. Well, the other thing, not to say that the Giants' philosophy is the same as New England, but Joe Judge and Patrick Graham are also coming from an organization that had a track record of believing they could replace guys who are due big money on the open market. Just something to keep in mind. I'm not saying that the Giants right. are going to duplicate that philosophy, but New England did not have a great track record of after a guy had a big year or multiple guys and saying, hey, we're just going to bring everybody back. Their philosophy tended to be, we're going to go to the draft, we're going to go to other means through free agency to replace some of the guys that we think we can let walk because we don't want them to eat up so much cap space. Mm -hmm. All right, let's go back to the phones in 9 By the way, real quickly, John, yeah, sure. not to interrupt, but uh, Antonio Brown has been ruled out by Bruce Arians Ooh. for this weekend's game with the knee injury. Here comes so Scotty Miller. And Tyler Johnson, too. <laughs> Absolutely. No question about it. Hey, folks, Big Blue Kickoff 5 is presented by the New York Lottery. It's the new X series of scratch-offs from the New York Lottery. Multiply your winnings up to 100 times. Please play responsibly. 973-667-1960. The New York Giants and Quest Diagnostics want our fans to come back stronger than ever. Now you can order your own lab test through Quest Direct to get the health answers you need most. Caller, you're on the air. What is your name and where are you calling from? It is Dave from Cranford, my friends. How Dave, are you Dave, what's guys? up, pal? Hi. Uh, you know what? Listening to the three of you, it's, it's kind of like John is the um, demilitarized zone between North and South Korea sometimes. <laughs> I don't know about that. I mean, Lance and I aren't really disagreeing on anything today. No, 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 not today. Paul, it's just so Paul, funny. Paul, 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 you take don't don't take that negatively. When you guys start getting really passionate, it's awesome entertainment and radio and 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 podcasts. So don't it is. Oh no, no I don't awesome. take it negatively. I just think from a factual perspective, today we're pretty much all in agreement on yes. most of these things. That's all. No, I, I I totally agree, but it's still nice when uh, when. John but if you is... want us to disagree, I insist that Charles Smith of the Knicks was fouled in that Bulls game. No, at the no, guard stop there. it! Everyone, stop! Time out! Now I'm gonna have to play my role of moderator. Lance, do not respond to that. It's an issue a response. It's not worthy of a response. Keith, continue. I love this. I love it. I love it. So, 
All right. Uh, well, let's see. Let's see. A couple things real quick. Um, I got Green Bay for sure and Kansas City. I think that would make a great Super Bowl. Not that that's how it works. But I think uh, I think you guys, most of you, are right on on, on those two picks. Um, you know, I, I I actually think that with the question on um, you know keeping Leonard Williams and and Dalvin, I, which I think is a big pick question in the off season, I do think that the Giants, you know, I, I think we can look at this year's cap and and see the restrictions. You know, we don't know what it is yet, but it sure looks like. Um, you know, it's going to be reduced. I do think that they can get creative in looking at, you know, structuring contracts that, you know, put some money um, into into other years where they feel like the cap might might get back up. I think, I think Dave Gettleman's, um, you know, propensity for um, guys that and 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 to the Lance, I think to your point about New England, which I agree with. The one thing about both those guys is that they're still young, and 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 I think that is a big difference too. The, you know, they're they're both they're both young. Um, I think you could argue really entering their prime or starting to show. I think this past year, both of them showed that they're you know real close to their yeah, prime. Yeah, but or, what and, I would counter, Dave, forward. is first of all, Chandler Jones was entering his prime, and they traded him to Arizona, New England. Now, you're, so you're, I would have rather kept Chandler Jones, right. which you have not. So I don't really think that entered the equation for New England. I think it was just a matter of balancing the budget, for the lack of a better phrase, and knowing what's going to help them in the long run as opposed to the short term. Yeah, Dave, I want to add this too really quickly. The Giants actually are not in a great situation to restructure contracts. They simply do not have many contracts on their roster that stretch much longer than two years uh, down the road. They just don't. Be just the way yep. the, the way it's structured. So, if you don't have you know multiple years left on a contract, it's hard to restructure. Now you can yep. extend guys, which moves yep. money down the road. But I'm I'm not sure we're going to see that many restructures, Paul. Unless I'm missing somebody here, right? Because they, you know even Bradbury was only a, a three year deal, so they don't have many guys that they can really restructure much. Well, restructure is is one word, and then talking about an extension that would then also be part of a of a new deal where you rip up the last year of a deal. For right. example, I used Peppers right. on the show the other day. You see, restructure, extension, new contract, these are all semantics here. We're, we're playing with semantics because what you can do, and, I, and again, I gave this example. I'm sorry if you heard it the other day, but... You could rip up the final deal, a final year of Peppers' deal by giving him a new four-year contract, which in effect is a three-year extension, but it's really a new four-year deal because you're totally reworking the numbers on his final year of his old deal. And so that's the kind of thing the Giants would have to explore. Peppers would be a likely candidate. Right, but that would require them to be willing to, to guarantee long-term money to right. those players. Which you it pointed out, correct. and I, and I told you, when, it, when you have a guy who's in his prime, no, you can take that chance. No, I know. I was, just, I was just making the distinction. There is a difference between restructuring, sure. which is maintaining the current length of the current deal and just changing yes. base salary to bonus money, which is what street restructuring is, as opposed to extending somebody or giving somebody a new contract on top of what they have, which obviously makes you commit further to the player than mm-hmm. in your typical restructure. Well, that, and you're also taking on more risk, too. Of course, that, of exactly. That's my point. Right. And everything. Yeah. That's why yeah. he's got to be a guy who is still in his prime years. You can't be doing that to a guy who's looking at the back end. It's, not, it's just not a good idea.
By the way, yep. Trey Flowers, another guy that was in his prime, and the Patriots also let go to Detroit. So he and Chandler Jones, to me, are two examples of players that you oh. could argue would have been worth retaining. But we're both like, well, how about low, Jamie low. Collins, too, right, Lance? Yeah, they Jamie let him Collins, go to and he ultimately yep. returned Collins. Well, he came back, but yeah, left. but he, he, came he back, still yeah. left, though. Sure. Logan Bankins, I mean, Richard C. I mean, you, you could, you, there's a lot of examples there. I couldn't agree more. I, I would leave with you guys with this other, this other thought. Um, um, one, a couple days ago, there was a lot of conversation about Gettleman. And, and um, um, so just to go back to that real quick, I think one of the things that happened early on, I know you guys kind of talked about kind of resetting, you know, kind of, uh, you know, where he's at. And, and, and I think one of the things that, that Gettleman took a lot of heat for, um, ironically, was you know how well he was going to work with coaches and whether he was just going to do his own thing and you know that sort of stuff. And I think you could really argue that in the beginning, if Gettleman made some mistakes, which which he did um, on some player personnel moves, a lot of that was you know input from the coaching staff at the time. If you were, you know, I mean, how many you know players did we take over from? You know, Arizona, as an example, that the thought was they would understand and fit in better system better. And, and mm-hmm. I think that was Gettleman trying to listen to the coaches and get them what, what they wanted. It doesn't surprise me that when Judge comes in, that Gettleman, and in, in you know, coordination with, and who gets credit, I don't know that it really matters, um, but that we, he had his best off season, both in my opinion, uh, both draft, and I know it takes a little time to evaluate. But with free agency, I think that the, you know those players. I'm sure there was a lot of input there from you know both Judge and you know Patrick Graham, et cetera. Um, and and that's what I think is going to happen again. You know, going into this year, both in terms of you know free agency as as well as the draft, is that you know. Keeping Patrick Graham, which was a big move, and people think it was just, you know, I mean, that was a financial decision by the team to make it worthwhile for Patrick Graham to, to stay. That, that, that's, a, that's a Mara Gettleman. I mean, that wasn't just Joe Judge. I mean, that was, that was a, an organizational decision to keep that continuity, and I think you hear from the defensive players how pleased they are. I think it's really critical from a draft perspective as well as a free agency perspective because now Gettleman can, you know, find the types of players that fit the scheme that Graham wants as well as on offense. And, and you know, that's, a, that's going to be a whole other, you know, discussion as well. So I, I think that gets lost in the, you know, the evaluation of, of Gettleman and in, in he, and he takes a lot of heat for, you know, he was going to do this all by himself. I think it's a lot more in coordination if you want to blame him for not picking the right coaches at that time, okay, I, I think I think they weren't the great fit. But I think if you're going to do that, you got to also give him credit for the coaching staff that's been put in place now. So just to throw that out there in terms of how they go about it, and it's one of the reasons that I am overly not, or, or, re, or decently optimistic going into the offseason that, yeah, they've got some decisions, they've got some tough decisions that players were talking about. But they they now have a scheme that that they know the type of player that they're looking for and 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 the truth is, you know, we couldn't say that like like we were both you know two years ago, I'm not sure anybody was really necessarily sold on what the scheme was or whether or not it was worth building around. These guys have shown this coaching staff has shown 
that they're worth building around. So just something to throw out there. Thanks, you guys, for Thank listening. You, Dave. You, Have you a know, great weekend. Love, love, love you guys. You guys, too. I want to throw two things out off of what Dave said. One, I think just based on listening to some of the things Joe Judge has said over the course of the year, you know, sometimes people throw away, throw around that associate head coach title, and all right, we'll give him the associate head coach title, whatever. I really think Patrick Graham, like, he's more than just a defensive coordinator. You know, Paul, whenever you hear Joe Judge talk about it, I think it was on the train ride back from either Baltimore or Washington, he goes like, yeah, you know, Pat and I, you know, we got together, we watched tape together on the way back, and it just seems like he's, him and Pat and, and Coach Judge and, and Patrick Graham, they're always together talking about strategy, talking about tape. They talk about the game the same way. They see it the same way. And this is something, and this links into my other point, this is the same thing that I said right after we heard Joe Judge's press conference. In fact, I think it was one of the first things I said on our show following that press conference. Joe Judge and Dave Gettleman also see the game the same way. They talk about the game the same way. You know, Dave Gettleman says the, the three tenets of football that never change. Run the ball. Uh, stop the run, and rush the quarterback, right? Mm-hmm. What does Joe Judge say? I want to have a tough football team. The three things a tough football team does well is run the ball, stop the run, and cover kicks. Those are the three things that Joe Judge always lists. So I do think there's better continuity here where I don't think Gettleman and, and Pat Shermer necessarily saw the game exactly the same way, but I do think there is a consistent view from top to bottom here from GM to coach, to coordinator, where they do see things and players and how they want to go about winning the same way. Not only do I agree with you, John, I also believe that even if you don't get the visual of seeing Patrick Graham next to Joe Judge every second of every game, I truly believe that the Judge-Graham relationship is much like the Belichick-Judge relationship was in New England when we heard that basically Judge was Belichick's consigliere. And and that's kind of what, what Graham is to Judge. You just described it very, very well. It, it seems like Judge relies on him a whole lot, leans on him a whole lot, and they exchange and share a ton of ideas. And remember, when he was defensive coordinator of the Dolphins, and got the call to come up to the Giants, and it wasn't really publicized at the time. He was not coming here to be a D.C. Some people would, would hit me on Twitter and say, well, why'd the Dolphins let him go? The Dolphins didn't let him go. He was promoted to associate head coach slash D.C. No, but, and got a big fat raise no, that's with the true. title. But by NFL rules, the Dolphins didn't have to let him leave. Yeah, they could have understood. Stood his way. Right. Understood, yeah. but clearly they were not comfortable giving him either the raise or the extra title because Coach Flores did not wish to do so. Oh, I remember. No, no, but he was under contract. I mean, they didn't have to give him anything. They could have just said, no, you're not going, and you're staying here under your current Correct, deal if they wanted but to. there's no way that, that Coach Flores is going to do that to Coach yeah, Judge you wouldn't think that so. they're pals from New England. That's fair. Correct. Okay? Well, and the if, other thing if, is there's if, been a if, lot of if, turnover if, rate on the Dolphins staff under you know, Flores over the span of two years, too. So there was there was the point is that Judge clearly wanted him here very very badly, yes. and I think his actions and the way that he has treated Coach Graham and the way that he has integrated him even more into the system than maybe a regular DC would be has to indicate to you the kind of relationship they have and how important that continuity is. That's my point. No, and, well, and remember, they also go way back. When Judge came to the NFL, it was 2011 with the Patriots. Graham was already there, but then Graham 
stayed on for a number of years before he then came to the Giants in 2016. Yes. So, you know, when you're with an individual, and I don't know if many people are familiar, but New England is very old school in terms of how they set up their coaching rooms. They pretty much have them right next to one another, and there's, you know, small little dividers between where a lot of coaches sit. So you're really entrenched with those guys, whether you're in the same positions or not. I mean, you have long hours, long days, and you're constantly around those individuals. I'm sure that the two of them developed quite a very close relationship where they saw they had the same passion for certain things, and I think this is now just a continuation of that. The other thing that I wanted to address was with respect to the last caller talking about Gettleman and Joe Judge being on the same wavelength or finding players that fit a scheme. See, I look at it more of Joe Judge, especially what he said publicly, I think they're much more flexible in terms of this coaching staff taking on guys, whether they fit the system or not, and getting the most out of them. I think we saw that for the majority of the season. They also inherited a lot of guys who were from the previous regime, and I think there's two schools of thought in the NFL. There is, and we always talk about this during the draft, you take the best player available, and then it's the job of the coaching staff to tap into those resources and getting the most out of the player. Or you take a player, which I think is a little bit dangerous, who fits the scheme. And the reason why I don't love that philosophy is no matter how good a coach appears to be, no matter how good a staff appears to be, there is no guarantee that a staff is going to be here for X amount of years. So when you start picking players because they're a good fit for a scheme, you get in trouble when two years later you turn over the coaching staff and you're left with players that fit that scheme. So now it's on the onus of the new coaching staff coming in and trying to make the most out of those players. That's why having coaches that say, hey, we'll work with these guys because we know how to coach them well, I think that's this staff has proven that they have the capacity to do that, maybe more so than some of the previous regimes. I agree, but I do think this coaching staff emphasizes certain traits where it's not necessarily scheme fit that they're looking for, but they are looking for specific players. Like, I don't think... Like, you might have, for example, you might have a defensive player that runs this great 40, is long and all this stuff, but then maybe you look at it on tape and you get him into the film or on the board, and you're like, all right, well, maybe the football intelligence isn't where you need it to be. This coaching staff will want no part of that player, probably. They want well, to have tr- smart and players. You know what fit I mean? To me, are very different. No, no, no correct. Oh, so, I, no, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, I was just building on what you were saying, not necessarily disagreeing with you. I think there are certain traits, Paul, that this staff and Gettleman both value equally, and that's why I think it works. Because once you get guys with those traits, then you can shift and build to Lance's mm-hmm. point that scheme around those traits to take advantage of what the guys do. Yeah, I don't think there's any doubt about that. All right, we got one more call, guys. Let's do it. 973-667-1960. Caller, you're on the air. What's your name? Where are you calling from? Hello. Go ahead, caller. I hear you. Yes, we can. Oh, this is Steve from Connecticut. How are you guys? We're good, Steve. What's up? Um, So, yeah, I've been listening for a few years, never called in. Well, thank you for calling, Steve. We Uh, appreciate it. Welcome aboard. Yeah, I honestly listen to you guys daily, every day. Not not now, but like later on, I'll put on the podcast when my kids are screaming and my wife's driving me nuts, and you know, I'll just listen to you guys. Do you want me to send you like an my... antidepressant or something like that? Are you doing okay? <laughs> yeah, no, no. Sorry. This, you know, this is enough to get me by. So oh, we appreciate that. Thank you. Uh, so my question is, what what cap space? I, I, I see these things obviously on Twitter. You can't believe everything you see, but as for cap space, what exactly do the Giants have as of now? Oh, we have no idea. 
And and, oh, and no, 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 Steve. You know, I was I was being a little glib and trying to be funny. But Paul, I think yeah. you made this point yesterday, right? Right. Based on you know, guaranteed money, non-guaranteed money, where the cap is, incentives, all those different things. That's gonna impact where the Giants' cap number is. We don't even know what the what what the salary cap's gonna be yet. Exactly, that can still change. So, uh, we don't really have a good feel uh, exactly what it's going to be. So, uh, unless Paul or Lance, you guys can give a better answer than no. me. I, I just really think it now. We don't know. I think we do know that there's going to be some level of flexibility. They're not gonna run to the point, Steve, where you're like, all right, well, we're at the cap and we have no money to spend at all. The Giants are not going to be there. How much they're going to be to spend is still dependent on things that we just don't have the answer to yet. Yeah, I mean, you need to know what the cap number is, and they don't make that public or announce it until the new league year starts. So we're a little ways away from that. The other thing that I'm going to be interestingly monitoring is the players that opted out. You know, when do they indicate that they're back in? Is there going to be some yeah. freedom and flexibility to opt out again in case by the time the summer rolls around? I mean, once again, I'm not saying that it's going to be a repeat, but we just don't know. Nobody has a crystal ball. Yeah. Are they going to keep some of the flexibility, the rules? Are they going to carry that over? So if a player doesn't feel comfortable yet returning to the field, can he then stay under contract but opt out? All of those things, to me, still need to be worked out, and that creates a little bit of fluidity at this Let, point. Let's put it this way. When Dave Gettleman told the media recently when he did his postseason press conference that he doesn't know how much cap room the Giants have because they haven't established the cap, then how is a newspaper guy supposed to tell you how much cap room the Giants have? I mean, let's get yeah, real. True. Yeah, right? and look, the other thing, too, is that they can make moves with guys on the roster that we look at their roster list now with the salaries listed on some website. I'm like, all right, this guy's in for this money, this guy's in for that money. Well, maybe the Giants cut somebody, and then all of a sudden they have more cap space than we thought, or they don't cut somebody that everyone thinks they're going to cut, then they have less cap space than those people thought. So, Steve, if you can call us back in like a month and a half, we might have a better feel for this, I was but, say, but right so now we don't. So you think it'd be like a month or month? Could and be a half longer than that too. Well, 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 Lance, Lance, you had the date. When does the league year officially start? When we know exactly what you know when that cap number is going to be, Lance. Do you have that date when we know what the cap is going to be? I mean, usually be? it's very early March yeah. is when the new league year starts. I mean, I'm looking it up as confirmation. March 17th, 2021 is when the new so league year months. begins. Now, now, usually we do have an idea of the cap before the actual Yeah, they first come out about a week year. before so I would with say, the official word. I would say beginning of March. You know, that first yeah. week of March will, will, will probably when we have a decent idea, Steve, of exactly what the cap's going to be. And that's when the Giants, too, will probably, you know, remember, we usually start getting those franchise tags done you know, that end of February, yeah. first week February of March. February 23rd to March 9th is your tagging period. Thank you, Paul. And that's exactly when we're going to know or have a better idea of exactly what the Giants cap situation is going to be. All right, guys. Well, i definitely trying to stay positive. I, a few years ago, I went to MetLife and got some really nice season tickets that ended up costing me way more for those damn PSOs that I never heard of before I got there. And um, just doing my my job to stay positive here. So I feel like finally, you know, this year went better than the last few, and hopefully they can build on it. That's all I know because it could get pretty boring watching those games. <laughs> <laughs> Steve, trust me, we hear you, man. We appreciate the call, dude. Thank you. All right. Take care. Have a nice weekend. Hey, yeah, you too. Hey, all the good too. news is that okay. they were playing meaningful football here the last to the last game of the year. You can't ask for more than that. I don't care what the score is. That's not boring. If you're playing meaningful games at the end of the year, guys – that's all you can ask for, right? 
That last game against Dallas was a lot of fun. Absolutely. Well, and that was all, remember, as a result of the NFC East overall having a down year. Of course. So, you know, I think we have to put that into context. But, yeah, I think anybody will sign up for meaningful football in December. How, how could you complain about that? Giant fans get a New York Giants checking account from Investors Bank with the Giants brand the debit card security features and discounts at the Giants online shop. You can earn up to $250 when you open an account at InvestorsBank.com slash Giants. Member FDIC, I hear you phone in the background. Sorry, caller, we're out of time. We're not going to take you, so call back next week. Um, and folks, remember that Big Blue Kickoff Live is presented by the New York Lottery. The new X-Series of scratch-offs from the New York Lottery. Multiply your winnings up to 100 times. Please play responsibly. Remember, folks, Big Blue Kickoff Live is presented, or rather is part of the Giants Podcast Network, which is presented by Investors Bank. You can find the archive of all of our shows and podcasts at Giants.com slash podcast, the Giants mobile app, and all of our favorite podcast platforms. Lance, Paul, enjoy your weekend. Have fun watching the games. And next week we have the Senior Bowl. So, Lance, get your draft hat on, baby. I'm ready. It's starting uh, Monday Monday we will review championship weekend. Tuesday we'll preview the Senior Bowl. And then we'll have a bunch of practices to watch on NFL Network. And uh, we'll, we'll talk about the Senior Bowl all week next week, guys. It'll be fun. Enjoy the weekend. Be good. All right. Have a good one. For Lance Meadow and Paul Dettino, I'm John Schmelk. We'll see everybody on Monday. Enjoy Championship Weekend, everybody, and stay safe out there.